0: Turn your Bibles with me to Psalm 42 and 43. We're going to look at both of those this morning. They are Psalms about how to deal with and get out of depression. Just so you know, I'm not depressed this week, okay? Uh, doesn't mean I haven't been depressed. Have I told you lately I love you? Uh, I do, and I was thinking about that, you know, just thinking, um, this is a good good message, this is a good psalm to, to review, because I haven't dealt with this subject in a while, and some of you are going through some tough times, and this is going to be right where you are. Others of you, you might not be like me, you're not going through a tough time right now, but I don't think depression escapes any of us. I think it hits all of us at some point. If you're not going through it now, you probably will. If you've gone through it before, you'll probably go through it again. Uh, It just is something we have to deal with. And and it's that that feeling of being isolated, feeling of being alone, feeling that, that you're hurting and you're in pain and there's just no one that understands or you can share it with. It seems unimaginable to some folks that a preacher would ever be depressed, um, you know, after all, I mean, we, we just work a couple hours a week, and cushy job, and, you know, everybody loves us and likes us and never says anything bad about us. And, you know, just, it's just, I mean, how could you have a better job? And yet, if you go to any library and you look up depression and you look up biographies of people depressed, probably one of them, I mean, probably all of them are preachers. Uh, preachers notoriously take Monday off because they're so depressed from everything that went on Sunday, and Sunday nights and Mondays are just terrible days for a lot of folks. I personally have been depressed many Mondays, many Sunday nights. Um, There's that depression that you can have and you can still function in society. Nobody really knows it but you or somebody close to you that you're depressed. I've had that kind. Then there's this other kind of depression that it just makes you dysfunctional. You don't you don't feel like you can do anything but just crawl up in a corner somewhere and not go on. That kind of depression has come to me too. It's miserable. So I've gone through some of that with you, and I want you to know where to turn, how to come out of some of that. And Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 is your go-to passage for this. Um and, and just so you think, realize, I'm not the only one. Remember, we've been doing a study in 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel first, and then 2 Samuel. And it's all about the life of David. David was a very depressed man at times. He went through years. You can be depressed for days, weeks, months, years. And David was depressed for a long time. Remember, he killed Goliath, married a princess, and then what happened? got chased out of town, and he spent years depressed. And you look at Elijah. He killed 400 Baal prophets. You would think, man, you're on top of the world. God's answering your prayers. You're killing all the bad guys. He got to the place. He he ran as fast as he could till he couldn't run anymore. So said, I'm just depressed. I don't want to live. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, I am distressed of living, so I wish I could just die. You look at some of the big names in Scripture. They were depressed men at times. So that's why, you know, as I was thinking of David, this is not a psalm by David, but it's a psalm, it's a go-to psalm for him as well. Uh, dealing with depression was something he had to deal with, and we do too. I'll go through it verse by verse, but I want you to see the two psalms go together. They, they were originally one hymn. For the Masoretes divided it up so we can have chunks to, to deal with. Um, they were one hymn, and you see the three verses and the chorus three times. So the, the first verse is verses of the, of the song, one through four, and then verse five is the chorus or the refrain. Let me read verse five. Why are you in despair? There it is, the theme. O oh, my soul... And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Then look over at verse 11, a verse, the refrain again. Verse 11, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And then look down at verse 5 of chapter 43. So why are you in despair, O oh my soul, and why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, the help of my countenance. So you see that refrain three times, and three verses in between. That's what that's, that helps you with the understanding. These two go together. It's the same theme. It's dealing with it. And if you fi- finish up at verse, uh, I mean, chapter forty-two, you missed. The last verse and refrain of the song. So, see the text and then understand It's this is your strategy. When you're in despair, when you're depressed, distressed, these are a couple of psalms or one hymn you want to go back to and sing through. You want to sing this phrase. Um, I, I like how it's couched. Why are you in despair, my soul? Uh, And why have you become disturbed within me? Um, That's in verse 5. In verse 11 and 5, it says, Hope in God, for I shall yet, or I shall again. I like that. It says in verse 5 the first time, Hope in God, I shall again. It's like, there's a solution. I'm not going to stay depressed. I am depressed. I'm in despair. But there's a way out. I will one day get out of this. And so the, 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 the chorus is, is very encouraging when you're in despair. Yes, it deals with us. We are really in despair, but at the same time, we are going to get out. Uh, we feel alone, but these feelings should drive us to an escape route. How do we get out? Well, before I get there to the way out, we have to deal with, is this a spiritual life problem or not? And let me just say, for the text, it's not. Um, It could be for you, but it's typically not. When I have people come to me for counseling saying, David, I'm depressed and it's getting worse, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to come out of this. I don't uh, know if it's going to get better. It's going on longer than I ever anticipated kind of thing. Um, And then they'll throw in, and I'm not sure I'm even a Christian because of this. And that's when I say, okay, you are. And they look at me like, I thought you would be honest with me. I said, I am. People who come to me and say, I don't believe I'm a Christian, they usually are. Because non-Christians don't struggle with that. Non-Christians don't care if they're a Christian or not. The fact that you're depressed and now you're distraught over whether or not you're a Christian, that shows me you are. It bothers you. It matters to you whether God's in your life, whether God's going to take you out of this. That's that's the feelings of a genuine believer who's depressed. So it's not a spiritual problem for you. Yes, there's things you need to do to get out of this at some point. But your problem is not spiritual life. The spiritual life is there. We just need to cultivate it. We need to grow it. A lot of times God gives us depression to grow us. To strengthen us, you think about the life of David after killing Goliath and marrying the princess, and God's going to prepare him next to be king. Takes him through this period, huge period of depression. It was a time of growing, and he grows into a man of God to lead the people of God. So God may have you depressed for a very spiritual growth purpose um, that you need. Now, other people come to me, you know, you know, and say, well. Yeah, I'm depressed, but uh, I don't know, I'll I'll figure it out or whatever. Those people may have a spiritual life problem. Their problem is not that they're depressed. Their problem is they have no spiritual life at all. Uh, The solution for them is not how to get out of depression. When I find those kind of people, I'm glad they're depressed. And I tell them so. I said, this despair needs to drive you to Jesus. Because your only hope of getting out is you must be born again. And put the word must in all capitals. You remember that message to Nicodemus that Jesus had in John 3? He says it twice, verse 3 and verse 5 of John 3. Nicodemus, you must be born again. You think you see the kingdom of God. You think you're going to work this out. You will not see the kingdom of God. You must be born again unless you're born again. He said, well, I think I understand a little bit. Jesus said, no, no, no. You must be born again. So if you think you're going to work this out and figure it out on your own, you're in need of Jesus. You must be born again first. That's your situation. Come to Christ. Only Christ can redeem you and save you from not only your depression, but from sin and eternal damnation. So, if, if, if your depression is despair to take you to Christ, that's a good thing too. So see, both, both ways, God uses despair to either grow us in Christ or to bring us to Christ. In this case, Psalm 42 and 43, the psalmist is in Christ. He says, yet again, I will praise him. I have been praising him. I will praise him again. I'm a believer, but I'm a believer who's a very depressed believer. And that's what he's dealing with. He's not dealing with spiritual birth He's dealing with spiritual growth, and I presume most of you are in that case. Um, Let's deal with the depression. Verse verse 3 and 4 of chapter 42, it says, "'My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, "'Where's your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me, "'for I used to go along with the throng, and I lead them in procession to the house of God.' With the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude keeping festival. You have a description there. It says, I used to have a lot of joy. And I used to lead people to church. And it was a lot of fun. It was like a big family feast. And it was just, it was great. But now people are saying, Where's your God now? Now people are saying, You don't seem like a Christian anymore. What's up? up?" You know, kind of thing. Now you're really depressed and distressed. uh, What's going on? What I, I wanted you to just, just get a little description of, of tears, verse 3. Tears are his food. There, depression can create a lot of physical agony and pain, and he's definitely got that. Um, there's, there's a sense in which physical problems can, can cause you um, social isolation, aloneness, feeling alone, being depressed. Um, he perhaps had some of that, just um, physical problems that are are causing him to be in despair. Uh, But he needs to grow from it. Catch the um, the phrase that's repeated. Um, Again, I will, it's the phrase in in the refrain, disturbed within me, my soul, why are you in despair? Why have you become disturbed within me? Uh, has your soul ever been disturbed, you know, within you? The the word in the original literally means groan. I groan on the inside. Now, you know what it's like to have a stomach that groans, right? But this is, and that's on the inside. This is the soul. The spirit of the person is groaning from the inside. And the way I can describe that best to you, if you've ever had dogs or cats, I've had both, and if you've ever had a pair, I've had both of those too, where they've been a pair for a long time and then one of them gets separated from the other. Either, in our case, we've given pets away or one just dies. And so the mate that's left behind groans. I've heard our dog, you know, when, when we've given the mate away, and we just want wanted to downsize to just one animal for the next two or three nights. It's like, ooh, ooh. It's like, why are you howling? You never used to do that. He's in agony. We just took away his mate. We've seen the same thing with cats, especially cats in heat. You're thinking, shut you know? That, but they're groaning from within. That's the state of being in despair and agony. And that's what the psalmist is describing. He says, why are you in such despair? Why, why is my soul disturbed so? so? I want you to feel that. It's something you f- despair, something you physically feel. And it impacts our spiritual Lives And that's the way he's describing it here, this, this groaning. How do we deal with it? Well, first thing we need to do, number one, develop self-denial and greater dependence on God. Develop self-denial and greater dependence on God. You see this in verse 1 and 2. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear Before God. This this panting after God. This soul thirsting for God. This is something that can't take place without self-denial. That's why I said learn to develop self-denial. And then this greater dependence upon God. Um, Depression can last a long time. He's already reached a solution. says... As a deer pants for water brooks, my soul pants for you, O God. The solution is God. He's hungering and thirsting for God. It's the living God. It's appearing before God. He's already reached the solution, and yet he's still in agony. You've got to develop this denial of self and your feelings and your agony to run hard after God. Um, He knows he needs to run after God, to pant for God. He questions whether or not God's in his life. God are you there? Yeah. And he realizes he's running to God because God is his solution. God is the one he needs. Um, perhaps we need greater dependence on God. And that's what he realizes. you know in in these times, I really need to depend upon um, God more. Look at um, Paul's thorn in the flesh again. Second Corinthians, you remember that? And I share it because in this, the Apostle Paul, he already knows the solution too, but he's still in despair. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 7. It says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. So Paul's got this problem of pride. We could have problems that are different. Paul says, because I had this problem, and and it was God-generated in the sense that God caught me up to the third heaven, and I I was able to see things and know things that the normal person doesn't get. And it was going to exalt me. God said, I'm not going to let that happen. He gives me this physical pain that causes him to groan, to be depressed, so he makes this prayer, verse 8, Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. So I I really, you know, kind of drew a line in the sand and said, God, this needs to go, and it doesn't. So I did it again, God, this really needs to go, and it doesn't. And I did it a third time, God, trust me, this needs to get out of my life, and it doesn't. And then God responds, verse 9, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. Now you're getting a hint at what Paul was going through. Not just the thorn in the flesh. The thorn in the flesh, people now look at him, you don't look too good. They insult. He gets persecuted. He's physically weak. Paul says, but I got content with that. How do you get content with that? How do you get content with with this depressed state? He says, because God has told me he's going to use my weak time, this depressed time, to make me stronger, to keep me from pride, keep me out of sin, and to grow me in him. So depression can be a good thing. Paul says, what I've got to learn to do is deny all these these agonies and feelings that, that keep me from seeing God at work. And I need to run after God. God is at work. He's doing something in this. Now go back to the psalm and think about that. He says, as a deer pants for the water, what I need to do is run to God. I am depressed. I feel depressed. I am depressed. But I need to run like a deer pants for water. I don't know if you've seen a deer pant for water. It's quite a different uh, picture than seeing a deer in your backyard. We've got deer in our backyard. Probably some of you do. You've seen deer on the road. You've seen deer crossing a pasture. You've seen deer maybe out in a soybean field eating soybeans or corn in a cornfield. That's not what he's talking about in Psalm 42. As a deer pants for water. And he's not talking about a deer just going on a nice little stroll to drink from a stream. Deers aren't panting then. They're just drinking. As a deer pants for water. Have you ever seen a deer that's that's sweating under its its, its armpits or legs, whatever you call what do you call four-legged creatures pits, you know you've seen a horse? Have you seen a horse all lathered up after running a race? Have you seen a deer in that condition? He is panting. he's lathered up. He is running for his life. Now, I got to see that several times uh, when we lived down in King Street because down there you, you hunt deer with dogs. And once a dog gets on the trail of a deer, a deer gets up and pants. And a deer can outrun a dog any day. I mean, I've seen deer crossing field at 100 miles an hour. It seemed, I don't know how fast they're going, but I mean, they're moving. No chance my dog's going to keep up with that. I mean, they're just getting it. And we lived within two miles of the Black River. And we lived on the River Road, which then, I don't know if it still is, Was it's, I think it still is, it's dirt the last half of it as it gets down by the Black River and turns, goes down the river, it's all sandy dirt road. The deer hunters would go down there and put their deer dog tracking dogs out and as soon as, cause on dirt roads, you can see the deer tracks. And so you see a deer tracks cross the road. You put the dog down. He gets the scent. And he, he chases that track until he finds the deer somewhere bedding down in somebody's hay field. And the deer jumps up because the dog goes, you know, howls. And he runs. He doesn't go away from the river. He pants for the river. And when I wanted to see this, I mean, there was a guy that lived down for me that used to do it every Saturday. I could go down there and watch it. And I realized that when I heard the dog's howl, I needed to get between that dog howl and the river because the deer was going to go to the river. And if I would get between him and the river quick enough because he's moving and he's going through brush or whatever, then you'll see him jump into the river. And why does he do that? Because if he pants for the river and gets into the river, he's not looking for a drink. He's looking to get away. He's looking to lose his sin. He's looking to go to the other side. He's losing all the distress that's behind him. And that's what the psalmist is describing. I'm in this distress. I'm in this agony. And God is using it somehow. I need to run to God. God is my safety, God is my refuge, God is my strength, God's my hope. Yes, I will be refreshed and drink, but I need to get hard after God. And that requires self-denial. The deer has to give up that warm bed he was in. Deny himself feelings of comfort and run hard after God. It may mean you have to get up earlier, it may mean you stay up later. It may mean you say, I know I don't feel like it, but I've got to. Or I'll die. This is my safety. This is my security. That's what I mean by developed self-denial. You've got to tell yourself, my feelings can't control me here. I have got to run hard after God. There's plenty of times everybody in this room can testify to the fact that there's times you just don't feel like praying. You just don't feel like singing another song. You just don't feel like going to church. There's times when you say, I know I don't feel like it, but i got to do it anyway i got to be like a deer that pants for the water. That's the first step. The psalmist knew the solution was God. He had to get there at all costs. Second, set aside time for meditation on past blessings. Psalm 42, verse 4. These things I remember. So the psalmist says, okay, I'm running hard after God. I want to stop and reflect. I want to stop and meditate. These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving. A multitude-keeping festival. Uh, He stops to meditate upon those special times of joy in Christ, in Christ the community of faith in this life he has with God. He's thinking about their, their festival services, their church services, and how special it was uh, to have those times. When you're having bad feelings, meditate on some of the times it's worth getting back to, some good feelings. And he's, he's meditating here on, on uh, you know, just church. Uh, you're depressed because you feel alone. Uh, nobody's with you. Let's, get, let's think of some times where I wasn't alone, where it, where it was really good. Um, I love the description here. I mean, we could probably just stop and think about number, verse 4 for a minute. I used to go along with the throngs. Like, this, is, this was normal. How many of you have a normal go-to-church experience that seems as slow as walking down a parade route until you end up at the festival? I mean, that's what he's describing, isn't it? I used to go along with a multitude of folks to the house of God. We were singing, and we were just relaxed, waiting to get to the festival. And I thought about that. That's a goal right there. I mean, some of you, you come to church late, rushed, Honking the horn, come on! I got to get there, you know. Cutting people off, screaming at the kids in the back seat. How many? How many of you have ever come to church where, hey, we'll be there in a few hours. Let's let's get in. Let's get in the street. Everybody's going. Let's join the parade. Let's let's go slow enough that we can sing some songs, and we can let the excitement build about being in the house of God. I mean. If you've never had anything close to that, maybe you need to rethink Sunday morning, okay? Um, You've got freedom to do it your way, but to somehow back up the clock a little bit and say, let's do this, let's build a little more excitement about the privilege it is to be with God in his house so that it's special. Patty and I, as we were raising our young kids, you know, we really tried to intentionally say, Let's make Sunday special. We, you know, we didn't tell them. I don't, they probably figured this out, but we we really tried not to ever spank them on a Sunday. We wore them out the other six days. We wanted to make Sunday special. This is not the day you get discipline this is not the day this is the day you look forward to this is the day that's fun this is the day where we'll have a special mood, food this family time this is the day we'll have the, the time in the church this is the time we'll have small groups this is a time that's really fun and you create some special memories and that's what the psalmist saying. one of the ways out of depression is reminding yourself of the special times with jesus because I'm running after God, if I get to God, will it be good? It should be good. We should be building some good memories of, yeah, it really is good. Some of you maybe can think back to the day you were saved, if you were saved on a particular day. Others of you were, were graciously saved. You can't remember a day without being saved because you were saved so young. But I, I was older when I got saved, I can look back on that day. If you've got that day, look back. I just It's just still a special day to me today. Of realizing how selfish I was and self-centered I was and how I was just running to do my own thing. And God says, you know, I want to fix that for you, David. That's sin. And I want to forgive your sins. And I want to be your Lord and master. And I can still remember that day. How sweet, how special, how privileged I felt that the God of all the world wanted to spend time with me. Come into my life and change my direction for better. So if you can remember that time, go there. But I, I remember so many special times here in this room with you folks. And it moves me. Some of you are here early every week and you sit and you prepare your tithe and you you read through, you look up the the bulletin, you you look at the passage, you read it ahead of time, and 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 I see such sweet things happen in your life as a result of just being prepared to meet and it's just a joy for you to be here, and that rubs off on the rest of us. Others of you rush in, and yet you still get a blessing. And I think, wow, that's so cool. God will take us where we are. Just start thinking through some of the special times. Um, it's, uh, it's good to sit around and just reflect. That's what the psalmist is doing. It will help you out of depression, reflecting on how good our God is how privileged we are to be his. Third, so not only develop the self-denial, set aside time for the meditation. Number three, realize multiple places for spiritual development. Um, As you look at Psalm 42, uh, verse 4, he says he's obviously remembering this time in the house of God. Look at verse 6. Oh, my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon and from Mount Mazar. He, he's mentioning several places. I remember you. I remember you in the house of God. I remember in these other places. Why is that important? Because sometimes we think I will only get out of depression if I'm moved from here to there, wherever that place is. I got to get out of this place. And the psalmist is reminding himself, I think, no, I can really be anywhere. And God is not far from me. God can reach me where I am. Realize multiple places are ours for spiritual development. He is being developed in many places. We think we need a particular place because I'm all alone in this place. Now, well, it doesn't matter that you're all alone in this place. It's still a place God can use. You don't have to be in a different place to get out of depression. Realize wherever you are is a good place to grow in Christ. And the psalmist kind of remembers multiple places that God's been growing him. And that helps us in depression to realize it's right where we are. As a matter of fact, if you're alone and thrown into somehow you're alone, you're thrown into the water. It's a good time to learn to swim, isn't it? Because there's no one around to help you. And it's the same kind of thing. If you're thrown into depression and there's no one around, the the solution is not that you have to move somewhere else. You can grow right where you are. Swim there. Uh, regardless of how many places were special before, let's make a new special place. You see that, realizing multiple places for spiritual development. Number four, pray for deliverance. He really starts praying and crying out. Um, verse 8 The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer. To the God of my life. They start saying. God's going to do something. I'm praying. Uh, It's my prayer to God. God's definitely going to help me. He's praying for deliverance. Verse 9. I will say to God. My rock. Why have you forgotten me? Sounds kind of forward. Think about it. Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. Um, He's pretty forward with God. He's just honest with God. God. I, I feel bad. I feel forgotten are you still forgetting me Uh, and then notice he, he keeps going into the next chapter verse one vindicate me this is still a prayer vindicate me O god and plead my case against an ungodly nation O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man for you are the god of my strength why have you rejected me why do i go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy so he's he's pretty honest with god god i feel forgotten. I feel oppressed. I feel rejected by you. You're my deliverer. To you, my prayer goes, I need help here. He prays for the deliverance. His hope is in God. His rescue is in God, and he makes all of that clear. God understands enough. God cares enough. God's available enough to hear this kind of prayer. You don't have to didn't deny all the things you're feeling before god tell him god i really feel lonely i feel isolated i feel forgotten i feel despair but you're my hope i need you to vindicate me i need you to rescue me i need you to deliver me i need you to put a song in my heart so i can sing to you these are his prayers he needs these things he speaks his mind to god And in so doing, he expects God to answer good prayer um, that we need to make in times of depression. Then he says, after his prayer, he says what he's going to do. Verse 3, how do you work out your prayer? Psalm 43, verse 3. Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. This is what we can do. God, I'm praying. I'm asking you for things, but I... One of the things I ask is that you'll speak to me and teach me. I need your light. I need your truth. Let them be what leads me. The light and the truth, I think, is the same thing. It's, it's God's word. It's God's direction. Um, look at Psalm 119. You remember this uh, popular verse, and you'll see the connection. Psalm 119, verse 105, says, Your word is a lamp to my feet. A light to my path. Lord, send the light. Send your truth. I need direction. Your word's a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. Psalm 119, verse 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. I think that's what the psalmist is asking for. God, I just need your word to enlighten me. To direct me, to guide me. We had the privilege of having all 66 books of Scripture. So get into it and let God speak to you. Ask Him, Lord, let me behold wonderful things from Your law today when I open it up. Let me, let me hear from You. Direct me straight from the pages of Scripture so that I know exactly where You want me to do, what You want me to do and where You want me to go right now. It's like if you know your solution is food, what must do you do? You gotta get to the table, right? You gotta get to the fridge. You gotta get to where the food is. If you know the solution is God's word and truth, you must get into it somehow. It's amazing when we are depressed, how we we have to really battle what's going on in our mind. Well, I don't feel like reading the Bible now. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like small group. I don't feel like Bible study. I know. I, I I sat in the hospital for three weeks with tubes all over the place with a collapsed lung. I didn't feel like anything. When you don't feel like it, how do you deal with that? You, you ask other people, I don't feel like it, but could you read to me? Could you turn on a sermon for me? Whatever it takes. I need... Direction from God. When you even when you don't feel like it, determine right now, I'm gonna somehow get the light of God into my dark soul. That's when you need more sermons. That's when you need more Bible study. It's when you need more reading of Scripture. So when you don't feel like it, it's exactly when you need it most. The psalmist realized that. That's why he's coming out of this depression. And again, I will, I'm gonna get better. Like I said, he begins knowing. Because he's applying the right solutions. And one of those is crucial. It's making use of God's word and his spirit. Number six. Determine then to go to God in regular worship and service. Psalm 43 verse 4. Then, so after all of these things, then I will go to the altar of God. To God my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God, my God. So, Here's the psalmist says when it's all said and done, the solution is to get me back to Jesus, back to the altar of God. Now, of course, in the Old Testament they had an altar where you would bring your your animal sacrifice and your financial offerings to the priest and you would lay them at the altar. We don't do that in New Testament. Christ is our final sacrifice. Nothing else has to be sacrificed. He has paid for our sins. We come to Jesus. We come to the Jesus table, the Lord's table. Um, and that's what the psalmist is saying. That's I'm, I'm determined to go. I'm determined to make it all the way to God and to worship. He, he talks about a liar. You know, it's like uh, the guitar in our day i want to get back to where i'm playing and i'm singing before god again i want to be worshiping him we do that at christ you remember the passage john 14 6 jesus says i am the way the truth and the life you don't go to god except through me john fourteen six. so you can lose the language i don't need to go to the altar i just need to go to jesus he's the way he's the truth and the life, and that would be what the psalmist would be saying, and notice the reason for existing here, I need to go to God, my exceeding joy, and upon the, the liar, when I get there, I will praise you, oh God, my God, he understands his reason to exist, what's the chief end of man, why do we exist? To glorify God, to praise God, when you're in despair, and you As we've seen examples in the scripture of despondent people, I don't even want to live another day. I don't feel like living. The psalmist says, but I must live because I I exist to praise God. I don't exist to feel good, I exist to praise God, so I must make it back in his case, the altar, I must make it to Jesus because the reason for my existence is his praise. I must get there, and I must praise him again. We need to grab, that's that's why we are here. All of you, you have a reason to exist. Your reason to exist is something only you can do, and that's that personal praise, that he is my God. Did you see the personal, he's not only God, he's my God. He says, oh, I shall praise you, O oh God, my God. I have a personal reason to exist. I am here personally to praise Christ. And we must see that, especially in times of great despair when we, we despair of living. I don't have a reason to be here. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You always have a free reason to live, and that is to run hard after God, against your feelings, to seek Him and to ultimately get to Him and to praise Him. Like I said, you will struggle with this if you haven't struggled with it yet. One of the biggest struggles of the older generation, and I'm talking, my dad's 90 right now, talking that generation, is why am I still here? And my message to Him The message to others, that age group is you have a reason to be here. Here it is, to praise him. God has you here for praise. And that's why you've always existed. Is it not? And that older generation will say, Yeah, you're right. Exactly. And until God takes your last breath, don't take it, don't take his praise from him. Use that breath for his praise and for his honor. Well, if depression hasn't got you, it probably will at some point, but there is good news, and that is, like the psalmist understood, you will get out of it, and this is my confidence that you will. Look at John chapter 7. God reminded me of this. He frequently reminds me of this passage because this was the passage I chose for my very first sermon when I was still in college, and I Sense that god was calling me to preach i said i'll try it out and this was my text and it was a terrible sermon and i still remember it to this day got to been one of the worst sermons i ever preached but it's a great text it's a great text psalm excuse me john 7 37 on the last great day of the feast jesus stood and cried out you just see jesus standing waving his hands, getting people's attention, and not just speaking softly, had no sound system, crying out these words. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Just think about the promise. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Are you panting after God? Come and drink. And here's the promise. Rivers of living water. Instead of that groaning coming out of you, imagine the refreshing stream of God flowing out of you. That's the glory of our God. He wants to so bless us and refresh us and give us this life that can only be described as as running water that just constantly flows into eternity. So I want us to just think about the joy of coming out if you're there this morning. Let me pray for us. Let's pray together. Father, I don't want to explain this text without really just stopping a moment because there's no way a room this size that everybody's doing fine. There are people here that are really hurting. And this, this is truth. This is light. This is help. And yet they still feel miserable. And they're in pain right now. And they're in agony. And they've got a tough road. And we we plead with them, for them. That they would hunger and thirst hard after God. And be refreshed with Streams of living water, that this deadness would soon go away and they would only see life in Christ and the joy that brings. Father, use us as the body of Christ around depressed people to encourage, to strengthen, to just sit with, to listen to, to hold someone's hand, to give them a hug, to help them through the tough walk of life. And Father, for those that are here that um, have been running hard away from God, may they find such despair that they know they've got to turn back, that they must be born again. We ask that you would continue to grant life to the lonely and to the lifeless, that that one who is dead in sin would come out and come to life in Christ. Father, let us be refreshed from the Lord's table now as we come into the house of God. We come to his table. Refresh us, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask the elders and deacons to come forward, and we will distribute these elements to you. And, you know, sometimes I'm asked, how do you know if you're a worthy participant of the Lord's Supper? Let me put it to you this way. Don't take the Lord's Supper like Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot took the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. This is how he did it. Judas Iscariot took the wine and the bread with Jesus. They were in the same room together. But Judas Iscariot did not take Jesus with the wine and the bread. Do you see the difference? If you take the wine and the bread, your goal here is not to take the wine and the bread, your goal here is to take Jesus, to come to Jesus. He's the host. He's the one who gives us. Judas took the wine and the bread because it was offered. But he didn't take Jesus. And he went out and hung himself. We must be sure that we're always coming to the table to take Jesus. I need his body. I need his blood. I need his life. I need to come to him so that out of me flows his life like rivers of water. So come to him to be freed from this depressed living by being nurtured in Christ. Lord, take the bread and the wine and make this ordinary food and drink special that we might come to Jesus. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.